Jesse Scholl, who is most recently the author of Dirty Secret. Jesse, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Um, that's thank very you. good. I, I don't see you hoarding anything except for two glasses, so I presume that <laughs> no. it's not a genetic situation. Well, or it is a genetic situation. Hoarding is yeah. genetic. I mean, yeah. uh, I think the statistic is 85% of hoarders can think of a, an immediate family member, a first-degree relative, that they would describe as a pack rat. Yeah. So it's definitely genetic. Um, but a lot of times with the children of hoarders, what happens is we veer to hoarding or we veer the opposite extreme. Oh, yeah. So and you're so, a neat freak, basically. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a neat freak in terms of cleanliness. I mean, I clean. I definitely clean. But I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't bleach down my kitchen floor twice a day or anything like that. Yeah. But I'm a minimalist in terms of belongings, definitely. Like, our apartment is pretty bare and... Yeah. Well, I have a curiosity. How many paintings and things do you have hanging up on the walls? By bare, what do you mean? Well, you know, actually, we have paintings on the walls. We have prints and paintings. Um, it's more furniture. It's more, you know, we don't have, say, a coffee table. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we live in a tiny apartment in the West Village, so it's yeah. we don't have a lot of room, but we have no clutter. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, um, I'll get into cleanliness in a bit, certainly because the book demands it, but I wanted to first of all talk about your efforts, your fruitless efforts mostly, to get your mother to rid herself of these many things. Uh, if there are four muffin tins, she will find an explanation for all four muffin tins as to right. why she's going to keep them. I'm wondering at what point in your life you realized that these explanations were basically bullshit. Mm -hmm. I mean, when did you realize that uh, the rationalization was unhealthy? I mean, what, what age were you? And I'm wondering if accepting your mother involves accepting the fact that she's always going to have these explanations. Yes, it absolutely does. Um, you know, I struggled with it for a long time. I mean, years and years where I would, you know, I mean, I, I feel like she, yes, she is a compulsive hoarder, but I had a we had a very symbiotic relationship in terms of this I hate the word codependency but that's really what it was where yeah. I felt such a strong need to try to fix her I mean really from the time I was seven years old yeah. I was trying to fix her and I was trying to you know weed her garden so that the kids at the school across the street didn't know you know how bad things were inside and things like that um, but it wasn't it really wasn't until I started writing this book and researching, I did so much research about hoarding and that was when I finally understood the process that happens in her brain with categorization and the, the information pro processing deficits that yeah. go on as, you know, as they do in all hoarders. And once I realized that, it made it a lot easier for me to accept my mom and to accept the fact that I'll never change her. Yeah. Because it would be as if, you know, as if you have a bipolar mother and you think you can talk her out of being bipolar. It's just not possible. Yeah. You know? So. Well, the thing that gets me is that she has lost her job, at least in the action unfolding in the book. And the one thing I didn't really get in the book that I was curious about was for a hoarder, or for someone who is OCD, or for, so or for someone who has any kind of obsessive tendency, you know, you often have a work environment that is separate from the home environment, that offers a sort of parallel. And, uh, and I'm wondering if, to what degree, the work environment affected her hoarding or the way that she lived in her, at her home. Well, I mean, one just simple way it affected her home was that, you know, she was a nurse, and yeah. she she must have had 50 different nursing outfits. I mean, she would go to Savers, her favorite thrift store, and that was one of her main purchases. 
Um, so that's just one simple way. But her, you know, her job was affected by her hoarding in the way that her brain was affected by her hoarding and in the way her brain causes the hoarding because she just wasn't able to keep up you know she wasn't able to organize the tasks and so she wasn't able to complete them on time um, and so she would I think I talk about this in the book she would uh, clock out when yeah. her shift was done and then she would continue doing the tasks. That's so, true, yeah. You know, she would keep working for an hour or two off the clock and then she kept getting into trouble for that and also, you know, she's um, in the book, I think she's 63 at that point. She's you know, about 4 foot 10 and she weighs about 200 pounds so she's very kind of cumbersome and she was slow. She's just really slow. So, you know, most of the people she was working with were in their 20s and 30s. She just couldn't keep up. So I don't even know how much of it was the organization problems in her brain yeah. or how much of it was just physically. She was just old. Yeah, yeah, know, absolutely. Slow. But there wasn't any real disparity between the hoarding impulse at home and the nurturing impulse mm. at work. Well, you know, nurse and all that. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I found really interesting um, when I started doing this research, and also when I joined the Children of Hoarder Support Group. Um, it's amazing how many hoarders are nurses. Yeah. And I that just blew me away. And um, I feel that it has something to do with... Okay, another statistic about hoarding is that many hoarders were abused as children. And a lot of times when someone is really abused as a child, they get something called a, a caretaking syndrome where they like to take care. This happens actually a lot with animal hoarders. That's what animal hoarding often is, is it's like they want to take care of something that's helpless, something that cannot reject them because they got no care as a child. They got, you know, just coldness, which is what my mother had. And so personally, now I am not a doctor and this hasn't been studied that I know of, but that's my own theory that I think that that is the reason for the high rate of nurses is that they, you know, when they go to work, they are caring for someone. So these are people that they can't really take care of their children, but they can take care of a person in a hospital. You mentioned abuse earlier and how that tends to be a sort of way for, you know, it carries on. I mean, in this book, late in it, you have a situation in which your mother confesses to you that her own parents abused her with dogs, and she in turn, uh, I would say, abused you in relation to snakes. You have a fear of snakes. She sent you down to the basement pretending there were snakes down there. She sent you packages with a fake snake. She put rubber snakes in your Christmas stockings. You know, this strikes me as something that is just tremendously abusive. The question is, is even though she could relate to the abuse in terms of her own abuse from years before. Do you think she really understands the nature of what the, what she's doing when she taunts you with the snakes is abuse? Or? No, I don't. Huh. She, I think she truly believes that it's funny. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's one of the things about my mom is she'll have a moment of clarity where... And this is why it took me so long to finally just give up and, I mean, throw up my hands. I mean, yeah. We still have a relationship, but yeah. I've given, I'm done fixing her, trying to fix her. I'm done cleaning her house, all of that. 
Um, but one of the reasons that it took me so long to do it is because, you know, she's a smart woman. She has a good sense of humor a lot of times. She's well-read. We talk about books. And she'll have a moment of clarity where I'll feel a connection. And so it was, it was like those moments of clarity and those moments of connection that gave me this sort of taste of what it could really be like. And that made it hard to stop. But eventually I did. And so anyway, back to your question about the snakes. I have seen tiny glimmers of, oh, wow, maybe I should not tease Jesse anymore about snakes. But you know what? If I got a package in the mail tomorrow from my mother, I would make my husband open it because I wouldn't, I could not be sure that it wasn't another snake. Yeah. Well, I mean, on that subject, there's a moment in the book where you say there are still things about her that make you happy. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that these are related to these glimmers. But, uh, you know, reading the book, uh, I, I was almost at a loss sometimes to determine what was it about your mother that uh, that, that made you very happy because she, she's constantly abusive. I mean, I haven't brought up the scabies situation, which I'll get into in just a bit. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost that by, by writing the book, you've got a challenge here because you're depicting her problem and it may come at the expense of, there's one moment where you say, like, there are things that she does that make me happy, but what are those? I, I didn't really get that from the book. Um, well, you know, we, ha we can have very lively, fun, telephone conversations yeah. um, she really is a charming person I mean when my husband first met her I was so terrified to introduce her to that's him right. oh yeah that's right I have a scene of that in the book I was just terrified that he would judge me and, and decide that you know he didn't want to be with me or whatever and he said she's cute she's, she's adorable and, and there, there is that side to her so yeah well I mean but just, just these telephone conversations, just these little charisma, yeah, the actions that, that basically make you happy. Because happiness, often of you know, or fondness for another person, or love for another person, right. comes down to gesture and action, not necessarily yeah. words. No, that's a good point. Um, you know, I think a lot of times the love is there because she's my mother. Yeah. You know, and I can't, I just can't help it. I mean, yeah. I just can't help but care about her. Um, we have a very unusual relationship. Yeah. Definitely. You've used the word acceptance, but what about forgiveness? Do you forgive your mother? Yes, I do. You do? Well, you know... It's okay if you don't. It's I, funny. I don't quite forgive my mother What's if you want to get down What's hilarious is that I've never even thought about that before. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I've never thought about that. Um, you know, I can point to individual things. The scabies. I have forgiven her. I have never been so angry in my life yeah. as the time when we, when we got them the second time. Um, and she refused initially to help us yeah. get medicine. Um, but I did eventually forgive her. Some of it was just time passing. Um, I guess for me, forgiving my mom is just accepting her. You can't necessarily forgive her in stages or in degrees. You forgive her for the scabies. You gradually forgive her for other things. I mean, some people tend to argue that acceptance really is forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, just an absolute blind right. you know, acceptance without implication of their actions, you know? Exactly. Well, I think that I think that's what's that's what it is with my mom because you know what? What sense would there be in me being angry at her because She's never going to change. She is who she is. Yeah. And so to be angry or to not forgive her would hurt my, hurt me. It yeah. wouldn't hurt her. It wouldn't affect her at all. I wanted to also ask about, you know, you write several times that you fear becoming your mother. Um, you know, but on some level, we are 
our parents. Uh, we were kind of talking about that earlier. Given that you have a strong genetic component, uh, I'm wondering if you, you confess in the book, I mean, we're talking about your husband. You go to Italy with your husband, David, and you withdraw from some people when there's some person who's kind of like, you know, talking shit about you for not knowing Italian. Right. Um, you know, and then you basically retreat to that to the home, and that's, you know, that's of concern. Um, you also told your David, you know, a few days after you knew him, that uh, if your father ever died, you'd have to be locked away in the mental institution. Now, you went to a doctor after the Italy episode, and he diagnosed you with depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, there are certain common personality traits with your mother. I mean, to what degree are you your mother? Wow. Well... (laughs) I know, that's quite a heavy one, I know. That is... Um... I think, okay, some of the things that scare me are, you know, my, I have a, just a terrible, terrible, terrible sense of direction. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's beyond just slightly bad. It's really, it's, it's just terrible. And so sometimes I do wonder if, because in a hoarder's brain, they have a slower metabolic activity rate in the parts of the brain that have to do with emotion, decision making, spatial orientation memory and so sometimes I when I'm lost which happens pretty much every day even in my neighborhood um, I do start to think wow is it do I have some kind of brain thing that's like a hoarder's I don't know maybe I do Um, and so maybe that's part of the reason that I work so hard to throw things out you know if I buy a new item of clothing I throw something out you know I'm I'm very very aware of that Um, one way that I think I'm like my mother is that like I said, she has a good sense of humor, but she'll get very on, she'll get almost addicted to one joke. And that's, I think, what's happening with the snakes. Yeah. You know, if she's been on that for 30 years now. Yeah. She can't let go. Yeah, yeah, and still finds it funny. And sometimes I'll catch myself saying a joke over and over again, and I'll have to tell myself, Jesse, it's not funny. Okay, you can give it up, you know. So I'll, I'll, I do think I get sort of sidetracked on and focused hyper-focused sometimes. Um, You know, um, I'm like my mother in that I'm a reader. I read a lot. Um, uh, I'm opinionated, as she is. So, yeah. But I would also argue that with the subletter episode, I mean, granted, you're dealing with a nation where we have competing standards of cleanliness. There are some people who are super neat freaks who are probably are just as bad as hoarders. And then there are some people who fall somewhere within the, the, the gradients. And you have a situation where this friend of the subletter comes to your apartment and calls it a bit dirty or funky or, yeah. or whatnot. And you basically said, no, you're not going to be yeah. the subletter. And that, to me, is a rather... I can understand why you would have that reaction, but it's still a very extraordinary reaction because there's no effort to sort of talk it out like well wait a minute you know maybe she this friend is a little unusual maybe she's an obsessive need freak we don't know but but uh, it does represent a kind of defensiveness similar to the defensiveness you had in Italy when you know you could have laughed it off because it's just like some Italians cracking jokes and Italians often have a very funny sense of humor you know? so yeah. I mean uh, that's why I kind of am curious about the question of, of similarities to your mother I mean you have to accept 
your faults uh, if you want to survive in this world, you know? Yeah, the cleanliness, um, that situation was absolutely a result of my mother because, I mean, not it's nothing that she did in that situation, but, you know, uh, the, the friend of the subletter comes and says to her friend that it's that our apartment is dirty and to me because of my mother and the way I grew up and the way that I kept her hoarding a secret for so many years I didn't want anyone to know about my mother and so and no one did at that point um, and so to be called dirty to me I would I would rather be called anything anything else than dirty uh, it just to me is just it was just the biggest insult, you know. The, I mean, the Italian thing, it was like, I was just humiliated because I have a, I'm not very good at languages. Yeah. And well, why? So, I mean, you know, look, some people are just naturally monoglots. They're very good monoglots. I know, monoglots. like my husband. Yeah. But I'm not. And so I was just really humiliated because already I was, I was sliding into this depression. And I kind of had to be talked into going to this dinner party in the first place. And then I'm there, and then a room full of people is laughing at me, and I just thought, all right. I can't. It was sort of a last straw. Yeah. It was harmless. In fact, the person who said it was a friend, you know. Yeah. So. Well, then he probably could have gotten away with this uh, more effectively than, say, some stranger. It, sh it should have actually lessened the blow, shouldn't it? Yeah, I'm sensitive about a couple things, yeah. you know. Let's go more holistically here and talk about why there are six million hoarders in America. I mean, you suggest at one point that it may have something to do with consumeristic culture. We are a nation that says bye, 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 bye. So uh, someone's probably going to go a little off the deep end and, and really buy, buy, buy. Right. Um, if you, know, you already have that yes, intensity. Of course, of course. So, I mean, but on the other hand, like, you know, you look at some of these programs, like that Home and Garden show, Clean House, yes. where, you know, they basically say, well, we'll go ahead and clean your house and we'll give it a makeover, but we don't actually see what happens if there's any kind of eventual black backslide. Why don't right. we want to talk about this issue? Why don't we want Why to? Why don't we don't want to talk about it? Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I feel like the, the amount of hoarders, you know, there have been hoarders in every country, on every continent except Antarctica. I mean, yeah. there have been hoarders forever. So I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's a result of the consumerism, but I think that our consumerism fuels it. And so, and I think what it does is it gives a person who's, say, lonely. You know, a lot of times hoarding kicks in, full-fledged full hoarding kicks in after a trauma. And it's usually a trauma of someone dying. Like in my mother's case, you know, her, her real, real hoarding didn't start until about 14 years ago when her long-term boyfriend died. Yeah. And so I think what happens is a lot of times someone ends up alone, they or or they suffer some kind of trauma, some trauma, some loss, and you know we've got thrift stores, we've got so many opportunities to buy cheaply um, that it becomes a therapy for them, a quick high, you know. So I mean, I think that that's how it fits in, but I don't think it's why. I think it's it really is a psychological issue. And you know, if it, if there weren't thrift stores they would find things on the street to take home. Because some hoarders just dumpster dive. Yeah. Well, it may be a psychological issue, but it's a psychological disorder. I mean, first of all, it's not even quite recognized by the DSM-4. Uh, not or, yet. Yeah, yet, anyway. It will be uh, in five, in I five, think. In five. Yeah. There's a bunch of arguing about five right now. Yeah, <laughs> but, I think um, it will be. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, I mean, you know, what I was suggesting earlier, culture does not want us to see 
the dirty underbelly of, of, of hoarding. I mean, we don't want to talk about it. It's sort of one of these things that children of hoarders, an anonymous online support group that you had mentioned earlier. Right. Uh, we have to go to anonymity in order to actually mm -hmm. talk about it. I mean, I, that's, I guess, why what I'm curious well, about. Well, I think why. that's shame. That's shame. I mean, you know, for me, I was so ashamed of my mother. I mean, even before the full-fledged hoarding began, you know, she was very messy. The yard was always overrun. The porch was always piled. You know, it was a, it's a porch with windows on it, so you can see from the street how high the clutter goes. Um, and her cars, you know, she'd have at least one, if not two, rusted cars packed to the ceiling with trash. And so, anyway, I was always just very ashamed. It's one thing, it, you know, to have a mentally ill parent is, it's just really hard because you fear, I feared that I would be judged harshly. I think especially... For some reason, if there's a, if it's a mother-daughter relationship, because yeah. mothers and daughters are assumed to be so close, yeah. you know, it's just a given. Mothers and daughters are so close. So, well, if the person you're supposed to be closest to, the person who raised you, um, is ha you know has a mental illness, then what does that say about you? And not just that, but when the mental illness involves such images of squalor and filth, and you know, it doesn't conjure up pretty in images. It's nothing that anyone wants to be associated with. So I think it's just this, all these layers of shame. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, you quote Susan Nathiel's Daughters of Madness, and you point to the stigma and the suspicion that a woman might get for announcing that, yes, she is the daughter of someone who is a hoarder. But on the other hand, you do close this book on a note of, well, the secret, uh, it's out. I've already talked about it to everybody. And uh, really, now I'm free of it. But on the other hand, what do you give up in the way of privacy and uh, personal identity when you, in fact, disseminate this, this shameful quality of your life that then transforms into something that, you know, that, that everybody knows about? I mean, you know, don't you lose something in the process in telling people that you had scabies? Don't you lose something in the way of, uh, I guess, uh, keeping personal things to yourself? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a brave step, but it's also, I mean, I'm wondering if it's fraught with uh, some drawbacks here. You know, I have, since I started working on the book, I mean, even when I was working on the proposal, I still, at that point, had only told my agent, um, and she was, I think, the first person I told outside my husband, yeah. uh, because I asked her if she thought a book like this could sell and if she thought I should work on it because yeah. um, I was in between projects. I, I was, I'd just finished a novel. And so um, anyway, I worked on the proposal for a few months and I didn't tell anyone what I was working on. And, you know, people would ask me, what are, what are you working on? I'd say, I just had a couple things here and there, blah, blah. And I told myself only if the book sold and I had to start writing it and I knew it would be published only then would I tell my secret. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to write the book because I wanted to get the secret out, because I saw all of this shame that everyone in the Children of Hoarders group was carrying. And I just began to think, it is ridiculous. And I did get frustrated because I thought, we are so ashamed um, over something that we have no control over. You know, none of us chose this, obviously. Yeah. Yet, here we are carrying this huge burden. And it's really hard when you're carrying a secret from your friends and, you know, fellow 
you know, your colleagues and things like that. It's like you can't really be yourself. And so you can't, it's hard to have an authentic relationship, I think. So for me, when I started to tell people, it really was, um, it was a very bizarre experience because my husband and I were in Miami for the Miami Book Fair for a book that he had had come out the year before last. And that was the weekend that mine sold. And so the first time that I started talking about it was we'd been on this, we had seen a memoir panel. And one of the panelists had written a book about her mother and the, the wonderful relationship that they ended up having after years of estrangement. Yeah. And just on a side note, she mentioned, oh, my mother was a hoarder. And I was, I was shocked because I couldn't, I, I was just, ama- I was amazed to see somebody admit it in public on a panel, yeah. you know, and I thought that was so brave. So actually, I ended up talking to her at a party afterward, and she, I think, was the first person that I told about yeah. my mom, yeah. which was really kind of cool. Yeah. But is breaking the anonymity, coming out, as it were, as a sort of relative or close friend or lover of a hoarder, uh, you know, is this really the right way for everybody to solve the problem? What if someone who is a little bit more diffident or concerned about, you know, I guess hoarding their own privacy? I mean, right. that's, I mean oh, it's no, not the solution it's, for everybody. It's, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it would, it, I wouldn't force somebody to come out about it. You know, there's, there's absolutely no reason to if you don't want to. I mean, for me, though, you know, back to your original question yeah. about the drawbacks, um, I haven't had any. I mean, I've, I did have a, I'll have, I have one tiny minor one that I'll, I'll tell you about in a second, but mostly what I've had is I've had people, for one thing, one thing that amazed me is that I had two friends tell me that their mothers are hoarders too, and no, we had no idea because nobody told anyone. Then I had, at the time I was working at a magazine, my boss came up to me and he said, uh, my brother's a hoarder. You know, and I mean, just everybody has somebody that they know, and and I haven't felt judged at all, which shocked me. I've just felt totally accepted. Um, I've gotten so much support. Now, you know, I've had um, children of hoarders email me. The book has only been out two weeks, and I've yeah. had so many emails already from people. It's just been incredible. So to me, the the only just tiny, tiny drawback. And I was just writing about this today, is that, you know, I've always had this thing where when people come over to our apartment, I go in a I go on a cleaning frenzy because I'm I'm very nervous about people seeing my apartment and thinking that it's messy. Back to that judgment, yeah. Yeah. So that is the only thing that has got I've I've gotten I think actually a tiny bit worse about it since I've begun telling people yeah. about my mom because you know it has this genetic component and so I'm afraid somebody will come over and oh there's a cluster of you know boxes under the couch yeah. she's becoming her mother you know it's happening so I mean but you know what that's so worth it that's so worth it is, is it though I mean you know if you have people coming over first of all <laughs> You're going to care more about the mess than they are. I mean, in my I know. experience, you know, yeah. and, I, and I've I've been right there with you, you know. But yeah. uh, but uh, you know, on, at some on some level, you do have to let go of judgment, and I and it seems to me that uh, well, there there's still a little bit of uh, that concern of being judged when you've written this book, you've told the story, you've uh, lived uh, past a terrible scabies uh, too. Terrible scabies yeah. incidents, uh, you know, quarantine hospital rooms and the like. Um, but but you, know, you know what? One, I just made a very good step the other day, yeah. a couple days ago, 
because um, there's actually a term for this. It's called doorbell dread. And um, a, a couple days ago, a friend of mine runs this amazing blog. It's called Homebodies, and it's all about. She's a she writes design um, pieces, and she's a photographer. And so her blog is she goes to people's apartments and takes photos yeah. of their spaces, and then writes a little bit about them. And she's been asking my husband and I for at least three years. If three she, years. At least. Yeah. If she could come over and photograph our apartment, and I've kept saying no, 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 and she came over a couple of days ago. I it was, um, yeah, it was last week, and that was a really big step for me because you know not only is my friend who's very into design, not only is she over. I mean, she has been over many times, but she you know posted the photos on the internet so the world can see my apartment and judge me and not judge me, and so. So I felt like that was a big step. Well, how, how, out of curiosity, how long have you had this apartment? Seven years. Seven years. Yeah. Uh, how long did you have the apartment that you had before? One year. One year. Uh, so, you know, have you tended to stay in apartments for a long period no, of time? No, this is the longest place I've ever lived in my life. Huh. Actually, before this, I lived with my dad and my stepmom from the time I was 10 until I was 16. Six years. And that was the longest place I'd ever lived. So I move a lot until now. Until but, now, you know, you get a rent-stabilized apartment in the West Village. That's How are you true. Gonna, but, I'll, but we actually we did leave twice and sublet it. Yeah. You know, absolutely. we went to Italy for periods of time. Well, the question though is, uh, I mean, you know, if you're staying in an apartment for longer than a year, you know, obviously, I I, I would think if if I had had a hoarder, actually, I will, I do kind of have a hoarder for for a parent. So I. I oh, I, you do. Yeah. Yes. I mean, she can find it. My mother confines the hoarding to her room, but nevertheless, oh, okay. um, yeah, I was actually, it just sort of made me, your book made me actually realize that my mother was kind of a hoarder, so thank you for that. But um, when you have a parent who is a hoarder, uh, you then start to think, well, um, I don't want to have those particular qualities come out. And so exactly. as a result, if you stay longer than X amount of time, you then have to make sure that that place is absolutely right. So, I mean, has that ever been an issue for you in terms of, like, I mean, clearly it is with guests coming over, but, I mean, do you have to change the environment frequently or has it really fixed for over those seven years? Or? You know, what we'll do sometimes is we'll go through, and you asked if we had art on the walls. Yeah. And we actually do have quite a few things on the walls. And so, you know, every maybe six months or something, we'll redo all of the photos, the placement of them. And that always kind of makes me feel like it's a new place. Or we'll paint a room or something like that. But, you know, it's, I, I don't know, I've never had an apartment before that I actually felt was a home. Yeah. Ever. Up until this one. Just until this one. Yeah. And I really I really love our apartment. How long did it take for this uh, place to be a home, do you think? Um, actually, a few years. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Actually, longer than that. I remember the day that I had lived there for six years, you know, and I remember thinking, this is the longest time, this is the longest place I've lived anywhere in my entire life, and I'm 40. And, uh... It just, um, that was when I, it did start to feel like home, like probably around then. By this time in your life, it seems to me that you've probably staved off just about every conceivable hoarding impulse. Yeah. Uh, that you're, that you, you don't think you'll be a hoarder at any time in the future? No. Well, no, I really don't. You I don't really have a storage don't. facility that you're not talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have three. Aha. Uh -huh. uh, 
Um, no, I just don't. I mean, I feel, you know, I've, I have definitely wondered about that because of the genetics. And sometimes I've thought, you know, there's this thing laying within me and it just needs a trauma to be awakened and, you know, who knows. But I just don't think so. I just, I don't like stuff. I mean, I don't like having clutter at all. It really bothers me. Is there one object in your apartment that you do, in fact, enjoy or that you do, in fact, take some pride in? And what do you do to kind of contain that joy? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll like a certain thing. Like, I have this plastic chicken. Yeah. And it's made of um, shower curtains. And... But, I mean, shower curtains that are sort of rumpled up and then it's shaped like a, a chicken. And for some reason, I like it. And I've thought many times I'll look over at it on the bookshelf. And I've had it about six years, probably. I'll look at the bookshelf and I'll think, I should throw that out. I should really throw that out. But I like it. So I keep it. But I do throw many things out. Uh-huh. Or give them away, actually. Well, you're allowed one plastic chicken. Yeah, I think one plastic chicken is okay. Well, on uh, the note of the plastic chicken, Jesse, thanks so much. It was a pleasure chatting. Thank you. It was really fun. Great.